Hey, this is Leo, and listen to another episode of After Hour Projects. This episode is with F. Elizio Zavar Alcad, the founder of TaxMap, a technology company streamlining the tax reconciliation of business-to-business transactions with its distributed ledger. Prior to TaxMap, Elizio worked as a lawyer in the UK working in property and tax law, and in 2012, he started working with Bitcoin and blockchain technology. In this episode, we cover how Elusio first discovered blockchain technology, the various iterations he went through with his company, particularly dealing with an emerging technology, and a necessity for belief in oneself as a founder. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, you can find show notes on afterhourprojects.com slash podcast. If you like this episode, make sure to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on Spotify, and check out our website at afterhourprojects.com for all things side projects. And here's Illusio. Hey, Illusio. It's really great to have you on the After Hour Projects podcast. Hi, Leo. Great to be here as well. Yeah, and it's it's interesting how like we've kept in touch ever since Tech Day, that time when we were waiting in line and... So last year I went to Tech Day as well, and there was no line, so there wasn't really that opportunity to like have these different random encounters. But just like those two years ago, when I was working at Crypto NYC, just helping out, I think our common interest in blockchain, what you were doing, really was able to connect us. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how we met. You never know who you meet, so always going to events is always kind of fun, and. You know, that was a great experience and getting to know you over the last two years has been fantastic. Just to know you as a human being as well. It's been awesome. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Likewise for you. And so just to give the audience a little bit about your background, if you can just walk us through what you were doing, a little bit about what you do now. Yeah. I mean, my background comes from the UK. That's where I'm from. <laughs> and I ended up in New York of all places. I started off as a lawyer, first and foremost, uh, back here. And that's where I currently am because of the coronavirus as well. And, you know, we fundamentally came to the United States with a project around blockchain and accounting and trying to figure out how the tax system works in the United States. And that's kind of been my focus right now. It's basically looking at digital tax stamps and how to basically work around digital assets and compliance across different networks. And really just going into how you made that shift from starting out in law to founding your own company, I think one way to take it is really just your interest in like the technology itself with blockchain. So tell us how you got into that field. Well, this is almost a decade ago now. I mean, it started off pretty much when the financial crisis as well. I was still in law school then. And then I graduated in 2010 and came out into the marketplace. And obviously, my viewpoint was that you've got to have more more than one skill. So I started getting interested in technology then. And, you know, coming from an ethnic working class background, we always pushed into education anyway. So my goal was to basically focus on one thing and be the best at it. But, you know, when... 2008, 2009 happened. It was more like I wanted to basically expand on my skills to make sure that I had, you know, other skill sets just beyond being a lawyer. So, you know, started off learning about technology in 2010 and then came across Bitcoin in 2012. And that was kind of like a big change because it was the first time I understood like the double spend problem and how 
data transfer was basically happening all around the world that you couldn't basically replicate. And, you know, that was basically backed by the blockchain database. So for me, it was something revolutionary right there and then. And, you know, I started basically going into a deep dive around that as well and started looking at it from the perspective of compliance. And, you know, from 2013 to about 16, we started building a blockchain bookkeeping system. And the idea was, you know, you build it and they will come. And, you know, unfortunately, nobody wanted to pay tax at that point in time around digital assets. (laughs) And, you know, we started basically evolving from there into where we are now as well. And, you know, in the just like coronavirus has happened now, just at the same time, we've had a number of events that have been changing a lot of the environment around us as well. So 2016, Brexit happened. So we started making contingency plans about how to move across to different jurisdictions. And we were looking at the EU, specific EU jurisdictions. And, you know, we picked eventually, you know, the United States, just because, you know, there's a lot more activity going as well. And, you know, we transitioned across in 2018 and started rebuilding. That's kind of how we met as well. Yeah, yeah, that that really gives that summary in terms of all that happened during those years. And it's interesting that you bring up 2008 with the financial crisis. I think that really, that's around when Bitcoin came out too. There was that problem that people saw in the financial system. They came across that solution. I actually want to know how you discovered blockchain itself. So, because this is really before it came out in the news in 2017, when even like all the different outlets were reporting on it. So what was that? Did you come across some sort of forum, speak with someone who was into it to really like even think about what this was and then actually like realize that this is actually something that's like serious, that has that potential? It was a friend in Switzerland who's a trader, actually, who introduced me to it first. And they were working around a lot of Bloomberg terminals. So they were coming across different asset classes and they came across this as well. And they asked me to look into it. And uh, because I was getting my interest in technology and it was kind of like figuring out what it was for them. So for me, it was uh, first and foremost reading the white paper and starting off from there and started to explain to them how it was important from the idea of solving the double spend problem on the internet. And from there, they then started to basically value it out as well going forward. And then obviously Bitcoin took a skyrocket, uh, a skyrocket basically launched off completely in 2013, 14 into the consciousness, I think, of the world. So we were always looking at it from the perspective of like compliance all the time. But Obviously, my friends who were traders were looking at it from a different asset class, how they would basically work it into a portfolio. And that's kind of how it kind of came down to, for me, was always looking at the technology underneath it because it was solving a problem. And that problem for me was basically not just the financial transactions uh, around the world, but also basically keeping data secure at the same time all around the world. You mentioned that your focus was really on the compliance aspect of it and understand that. You were working a lot at that time. So coming from a field that's more like analytical and like I can say a little bit because I work in finance, it's like really first understanding what the conceptual parts about this technology, like what it can do with what you mentioned, the double spend. Were you working on the compliance part with what you were doing for your work as well in law? Yes, I was uh, specifically, we get trained in a number of, subjects and you know my focus was taxation so i was looking at it very much from the perspective of 
how tax compliance basically applies to a crypto transaction. Tax was always kind of uh, an intriguing subject because it is money at the end of the day, and nobody considers it as such. It's just not on their balance sheet. It's always going out somewhere. Uh, and, you know, it's looking at the triple entry ledger system format towards this as well, where you could basically apply separate ledger for tax compliance. And that's where it came a challenge where I had to basically transition across, you know, from being a full-time lawyer into something that was an entrepreneur, basically, which is something alien to me because most of the time clients come to you for advice. And this is the first time I was having to actually direct other people to achieve something that I wanted to build. And that was kind of a, a out of my expertise level. So it was an element of continuous learning all the way through. So, you know, even though we started the um, tax map in 2013, it's still been evolving and growing since then as well. Yeah, especially as the t- technology evolves too, because it still ha- has a long way to go. And really what you mentioned about like the triple entry system and all those mechanics behind tax map. So before we get into more about the company itself, one last question around your experience in like grasping the technology. I think one piece is really your professional background of focusing in law and with tax, and then also just that understanding with the blockchain technology from like a knowledge perspective. So how much technical knowledge did you have with blockchain? Were you looking at like different, let's say like the Bitcoin blockchain and like transacting with crypto and doing things like that? Technical knowledge, I had to build on my own, quite honestly. It was a challenge. I mean, it pushed me into learning about Kurt Godel, Claude Shannon, Alan Turing, and you know, information theory, uh, along with basically understanding how the internet was basically structured. And from, it came down to that the structure of what a double spend was, was mirroring what a double taxation treaty was around that, meaning that you don't want to be double taxed on something. And I basically drew an analogy from double taxation and double spend and started to basically analyze it in that direction and build my knowledge base around the technology from the idea of how the internet was transferring information from TCP, TCIP, and so forth. So my viewpoint was always like, I've always got to learn something new uh, all the time. And that's kind of fortunate because then you've got Ethereum coming out and Hyperledger also coming out at the same time with different chains and different digital assets. So it gave me an edge up to understanding how the proof of network was basically working versus the proof of stake. And, you know, it kind of always is a continuous learning point to where we are now as well, where more people understanding that, oh, compliance is becoming a bigger part of transactions. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting how there's all these different blockchains that are coming out. So all these different ways to have basically solutions to problems. In terms of really finding solutions to problems, how did the idea of TaxMap first come about? I know you already mentioned really about like the different fields with like tax, compliance, and then the technology. So really walk me through how you were able to piece that together. TaxMap originally started as just a tax database in 2010. I was trying to consolidate all the European tax information along with the different currencies and tax brackets that existed for our clients at the law firms. And it became an issue that that cross-border transaction element, that um, not understanding these different 
language barriers that existed. It was fundamentally an issue that we wanted to resolve. And that's kind of when Bitcoin resolved a lot of those problems because it was just one one currency, one token that you can send all around that everybody understood. And that was kind of where I was like, oh, this is revolutionary at the same time. Wow, yeah. Yeah, wow. I, I can I can really see that because in 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 Europe there's all these different countries, they're transacting with different currencies. And then I'm sure that like there's all these different records too going across different governments. So having that one uniform so-called currency really helps solve that problem. Yeah, it comes down to people forget there's a lot of transactions happening around the world with different currencies. And then on top of that, underneath that is all the tax element as well at the same time. It's not just that, it's just that there's different languages going all around the world as well. Whereas if you just use code, it just solves a lot of issues and you can send it anywhere around the world without any financial barriers. And that's what Bitcoin kind of enlightened me to was this is the first time you could actually send something of value all around the world on the internet without any barriers, which was kind of revolutionary in that regard. And the more you delve into what it actually did was create the next version of the internet, i.e. the internet value, the financial internet. Um, it, this is kind of where now everything is going to be built with some element of value being attached to it. So anytime you have a web portal or a database going forward, there might be an element of you having your data defined as something that could be valued, not just in where you are in one jurisdiction, but somewhere all the way across the world could connect with you and basically have access to it as well. Right. There's there's a lot going on right now. And I don't know if you've come, off, come across with the term embedded finance. I have not. And then there's also like banking as a service. but. I mean, like for me doing like this research during my day job and then speaking with the companies, it is really interesting to see what's been going on. And even with like the progression, so just how we've been in contact and I've been hearing updates from your end about TextMap, that there's, there is that progress. But now going back to when you first started the company, what was that first iteration of TaxMap? Um, we started originally as a blockchain bookkeeping system. So our first situation was to basically look at the blockchain ledger and try to make some kind of accounting process around it uh, to make sure that everybody doing those transactions would be potentially paying tax around it at the same time as well. So our first situation was very, very basic and probably one of the very few companies talking about um, tax compliance at that point in time, where everybody else was trying to build an exchange or um, a wallet. We were looking at it from the perspective of how do you make sure you're accounting for all of this information all the way through. And quite honestly, we were very early. We were uh, too early because um, nobody wanted to pay. There was no definition of tax actually around the digital assets or Bitcoin at that point in time either. But now we're still going into the phase that it's still very early because we've just defined income tax and capital gains tax around digital assets, whereas the next wave of supply chain tokens or supply chain finance being on um, a blockchain, nobody's actually talking about sales tax. And that's where we're still a bit ahead of the curve and rebuilding across without technology and our experience for that next wave coming through. Yeah, got it. So there was that immediate focus. 
And it's, as you mentioned, there was that change over time given the evolution in the markets, evolution in the technology. So you were working, you got the idea when you were working in law, and then you found that there was that solution to the problem. And then that like, what thing that you can build to help solve it? When was that inflection point when you decided to pursue this full time? That's a great question. I don't think it was one snap decision. It was step by step, effectively. I mean, we started off just basically understanding and then figuring out if it was feasible what we were doing. And that meant a lot of conversations with a lot of different people very early on. And there's still established companies at this stage, which were still trying to figure out um, who and what was the marketplace evolving into. So for me, it was a very step-by-step process where I was only basically going by one milestone to the next milestone to the next milestone. And, you know, we took it in that direction and we've continued to take it in that direction as well by making sure that we're figuring out uh, if there is a market for what we're doing because we've already gone through the phase that we were early with regards to the compliance protocol. And now we are actually... I think at the right moment at the right time going through everything. But it's been almost, I would say, you know, seven, eight years since we've been going through all these iterations of what we've got. It is really not something that happens all of a sudden, but having that momentum build up. And do you mind sharing any sort of more pivotal points? So like which were some of those experiences that gave you that further conviction? It came down to that the more people I spoke to, the more I was helping them learn something brand new. And that was kind of like when I was like, am I the only person talking about this? Is this an opportunity where nobody understands what we're saying? So that by definition makes us the experts of what we're saying. And it was the more conversations we had with the trading element of, 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 digital assets at that point in time, the more they still weren't talking about compliance or anything to do with taxation. So it was it was a gradual thing going through. And as a lawyer, you advise clients on the, their options with regards to the law. So my viewpoint was like, am I advising people here on this new technology? And it kind of evolved from that, where it's like, actually, it does look like that I'm advising and educating people here around this new technology. This is like this unaddressed area of tax compliance that no one's talking about. So that's given you really like validation that this is something that's important. Yes. We always joke that uh, tax is the most boring thing in the world. And if you can make whatever the most boring thing in the world sexy, you're always going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So more in terms of now just being a founder. So you've been working on the solution and you're really just basically like as a founder doing everything, doing like a lot of work uh, on your own. What was that experience like? And like, how have you been able to like adjust with that for like the years that you've been working on this company? I mean, Teddy Roosevelt said that the credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena. And I found that as a founder, it's been a challenge because there's been ups and downs all the way through. And when you come from a legal background, there's a lot more stability. 
and you kind of know case by case what the daily plan or the weekly plan is or the monthly plan is going forward. Whereas as a founder, you're dealing with so many uncertain events. You've got life events happening, you've got team events happening, and you've got a number of fires all over as well that you're always pouring out. And I think the main thing I've learned is that because we've gone through so many iterations is that building a team is one of the hardest things that you can actually achieve, a good team. And fundamentally, a good team can carry you from point A to point B uh, without you having to worry about uh, the gaps in the middle from that journey as well. So from our view, my viewpoint was that as a founder, it was very much a lonely place to start off with alone because not many people were understanding what I was saying. But then, you know, the first people that you start working with that got converted into basically believers in what you actually are saying, it kind of is giving you faith and confidence as well. So it's a reinforcing cycle of what you believe and what they're mirroring back to you as well and what they believe is now actually true at the same time mirroring to somebody else. So it was it was a long and lonely journey, quite honestly, because we didn't expect to be leaving the UK for the United States, which was completely different with regards to marketing, with regards to sales, with regards to team building. So it's a different experience completely. But that's one of the challenges that, you know, you you kind of have to overcome. Yeah, so so that's interesting. It's what you mentioned with going from being in the field of law to then going into being a founder. So that's like really quite a significant shift there. And also like what's interesting is like how even like when we met, that was like when you just recently like came from the UK to the USA. So before we really touch upon like that experience of moving countries, in terms of just like shifting your career, so like one thing that I've heard from like guests as well is how when they were in their professional career, like they could see like what their future path could be if they were to pursue it after this period of time. And then like there's the decision to found something of their own that was like, as you mentioned, every day is really different and how like it's just really like quite quite a wild ride. What are some of like your other thoughts on like transitioning from a full-time job from a career into something of your own? And that's a good question. I mean, fundamentally, I wasn't prepared for it. And I don't think many people are. And you can never be 100% prepared for it. It's a leap of faith that you have to take. And that transition was first fantastic because you stable, you still got your skill set from my legal career, which has really helped me out all throughout this period. But the skills that I had carried me through for the first year or so, but then I've had to adopt new skills uh, at the same time, like sales, marketing, media, and everything else that comes along with that as well. Being a, I always basically hear that, you know, being a CEO is almost, is basically being uh, the biggest cheerleader that you have for yourself and for your team. So you're also the C- CSO, the chief sales officer at the same time as well. And it's it's one of those things that the steps that you take in life are always, you know, you can only look back on them to see if if you've actually made the right decision or not. And with that comes experience. Right. So that experience is actually invaluable because whether you make the right decision or the wrong decision, you've actually learned something which nobody else has. So when I look back over the last 10 years and I 
look at my friends and family and everybody else who've actually gone in a different direction. They've got social milestones that they've achieved or they've got social relationships that have gone on forward and so forth. You know, as a founder, you know, you kind of are deciding like you're going to go out of that social cycle and you're going to create your own. So that's a lot of psychological changes as well that happen at the same time. So you have to create a mindset of perseverance and that perseverance carries you through um, whether you succeed or fail because whatever comes next, you're still going to be surviving and pushing forward in that as well, no matter what happens. Whereas if you're, an, if I was still a lawyer, I don't think I would have that mindset because there's an element of stability that comes with having a job that's nine to five. It kind of gets very repetitive. And if you, once you start a journey as an entrepreneur, I think it's very hard to go back to being a nine-to-five kind of job. And also, really, it's to your point earlier about having like that validation. It's those times when you go day by day, and sometimes you have those conversations where someone becomes, as you call, like a believer, and then you educate someone about this, and then they also see it. I think like those are also really just kind of like affirmations to like help you keep going but also it's really about like the perseverance of having daily processes because not every day is going to look like that there's going to be really hard days too it's just that you have to keep going yeah you're 100 right there i mean if you start a journey and you don't know where it's going to end everybody always looks at the ipo exit and everybody sees the fanfare of the moment but even after the IPO moment has gone past, people are still working and still going forward with that company. And that's when the hard work really begins as well. I think as a founder, the hard work really never stops. Uh, it starts from day one and you're going to continue on. It's something that you believe in and you have to keep going around it because you know that it's everybody else is thinking in one direction and that's fine. But if you know a way better, uh, a way faster, a way that's more efficient. It's something that's going to help everybody. That mindset doesn't make you want to stop because at the end of the day, you're actually adding value, not just to yourself, but the community around you. When I started off 2010, that was just when cloud computing was just coming to the fray. When I first got interested in computers in the 90s, where we still had to put in CDs <laughs> for Encyclopedia on Microsoft, mm-hmm. and then we moved on to modems, and then we moved on to basically broadband, and now cloud computing to now basically digital transactions and mobile apps, which is kind of like in my lifetime, just 35 years, there's been so many transitions. Um, and, the, and at the end of the day, it's like, we're helping humans have more experiences all around the world, whether it's um, a a lift moment or an Airbnb moment where you're basically helping people expand and experience different cultures or get get somewhere a lot quicker, a lot faster. It's um, the same principles that drives an entrepreneur. It's more like you're actually going to help people going forward. Yeah, a a lot of times it's like, as Peter Thiel says in his book, it's going from zero to one. And like that's one way to really like categorize entrepreneurship. And so speaking of really responding to the challenges and just being flexible, things like that. So you moved from the UK to the US, and that was because of really what was going on politically. So 
how much experience did you have with like the US? Did you like come visit much like beforehand? Um, so it was a massive culture shock, quite honestly, because even though you visit and you experience everything as a tourist, coming into a business environment is completely different. And, you know, it, being from the UK and from a European mindset as well, uh, there's a there's a difference in basically how uh, business is done here in the United Kingdom versus business is done in the United States. So from my point of view is that the culture shock was one of the biggest things to get over because there's a lot of great things about America and there's a lot of things that still need uh, development around. And one of those is the financial industry. And that's kind of where we were looking at basically plugging into and helping out around as well. So we looked at it as an opportunity, but the culture shock was a, a big uh, challenge to overcome. But like you said, is that building a network from zero was really hard, but you get through the cycles and you kind of have to have fun with it at the same time as well. So going out to meet people was something that it was very much <laughs> a task for me because as an introvert, it was something that I wasn't prepared for. So, you know, it was one of those things that you had to basically start learning again that there's different people in the world that you can basically always learn something new from. And going out and meeting new people has led me to some amazing journeys and uh, friendships as well. But it's also helped me build up, you know, a team at the same time. And that's been kind of like a, a stable base for us uh, going forward as a company. Right, right. And that's really interesting because it's, it's not like I think a lot of people think about like moving to a new country. There is really that culture shock. But then as a founder, there's also all these different things you have to learn about the business, about how to like interact with people as uh, as you've mentioned, like with me before, uh, trying to just like get these different meetings. And so like doing the networking part, too. So uh, all that's really, really interesting there. Now really going on to how TechSnap is currently doing. So can you share some updates in terms of the progress and what you're looking forward to with the growth of the company? Well, fantastically, the whole world's knowledge gap around blockchain technology has decreased thanks to basically everybody talking about it. So from our perspective is that the knowledge gap has completely been closed, I think, with regards to all the meetings that we're having um, and the networking that we've done over the last year or two. And more people are understanding the value of tax map and digital tax stamps. Um, so where we're, we're currently at is that we're going to relaunch our whole tech stack with partners, for example, KX, with regards to our system completely rebranded as well. So we're looking to launch in the next couple of months and basically pushing out our technology to everybody around the world. And we've been pushing on the principle around digital tax stamps specifically, meaning that you can basically do a cross-border transaction and have that nexus event with our tax stamp automatically reconciled completely. So you don't have to worry about it with any currency or any tax bracket that's basically being applied to it as well. So, you know, we're excited about the future. Specifically, you know, we've been focusing on how to carve a market niche of what we've done and basically focus around our expertise. And I think because more people understand that we don't have to explain what a blockchain database is, more people understand the value add of compliance now. And that's kind of, um, you know, 
very lucky because we're hitting our stride now, especially when supply chain and trade finance and everybody is now looking at cash flow problems with invoice factoring. We are actually solving one of the problems in, in that network for them as well, which is basically the tax compliance part, digital tax stamps. Yeah. And really just to give the audience some perspective in terms of like what this is. So from my understanding, it's really with these different transactions, there's certain goods that have to have these tax stamps. And so like normally that's a pretty manual process because like there isn't that digitization there. So like with your solution, it really lets these transactions, these like the tax component be processed automatically. So things like reconciliation, making sure that the values match across different databases, all that would be streamlined. That's 100% right. We've been very fortunate that we've gone through a lot of R&D and a lot of iterations already to get to that endpoint that everybody understands exactly where we basically fit into uh, the network. And for automatic reconciliation to happen, it does require partnerships and relationships going on with other networks as well. But at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, tax is a part of life and we're just making sure that the whole process is more efficient and a lot more seamless. So it costs you less in time and money. Yeah, definitely. And then just that one part about the networking. So even like also from our conversations, there is like, as you mentioned with KX and just like all the different partners out there, it's that something like this, it takes like these partnerships to do. So having the technology to actually build something out and then like with you and TaxMap having the expertise and knowing like what that is. So it's like having the vision and then like having the execution to like have that product out there, those all tie together. Yeah, I mean, as a founder, you have to basically believe in your vision and that seeing the world in some aspects a little bit differently than anybody else. And either you're early or, well, I think most of the time you are always early because whether you like it or not, creating a new system is basically something that's brand new to everybody in the world, especially when they haven't, uh, they have no inclination of what it is as well. And it comes down to that, you know, when you have a founder's vision that basically looks at something that is the future, it's something that you want to carry through no matter what happens. And that's where perseverance comes in as well. Right, right. And especially with these new technologies, sometimes it's really hard to have people understand what they are. So it's about presenting these as solutions versus just technologies so it's like how can this actually like solve someone's problems versus like what are the features so that way you get people listening you're 100 right that's the reason why we always basically try and highlight the problem of tax because everybody forgets about it and our main focus is basically highlighting that tax is just money and it has to be basically be a part of the accounting system of the networks that can exist in the future. So whether we like it or not, it's going to be inevitable that it's going to be applied in some capacity all around the world. So our focus is basically making sure that it's just the most efficient way and as, as seamless as possible for everybody to basically not even think about it in the future. Just to close off, what advice do you have for those who are maybe currently working a full-time job, but 
have some idea that they want to start? I mean, it's Benjamin Franklin who used to always say around uh, opportunity cost is that what is the opportunity cost around what you're doing now versus what you could be doing going forward? And I think if you believe in a vision, it's like, do you actually believe it to the point that you're going to make the whole world understand it? Or is it just something that you just only know yourself that you want to keep to yourself? And I think it's basically anybody going from a nine-to-five job into the role of an entrepreneur should always basically understand there's going to be a lot of challenges, a lot of psychological barriers to overcome as well, but it's going to make you grow as a human being. So either you can be in your job and stay who you are, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to experience life to the fullest and grow and learn new skills, you know, it's basically believing in your dream or your vision and just moving forward with it. Right, right. Great way to put it. And it's also like making that transition a lot of times, like with what you mentioned with validation. So it's, there's a lot that you can do when you're currently working to get that validation. So starting off on something with like a side project and then like just building up from there so that you're not just making that jump completely. Yeah, it's your expertise that you have in whatever you're doing right now. And if you know how to do something better, that's pretty much where you should start on with your side job. So it doesn't mean that you have to basically right. do your day job. It's just basically taking that extra 20% of time that you may have from maybe, let's just say, 5 to 6 p.m., just staying that one hour extra and just basically focusing on that one vision that you want to basically achieve to make sure everything is a little bit better the next day or for the next system going forward. And that's kind of when you become an expert around what you, your side job is there. And that becomes potentially your future. Right. Great way to wrap that up with the point about doing what you're good at. So that's like leveraging your own expertise. 100%. And lastly, so Lucio, this is, this is really great. And thanks for being on. Um, where can the audience find you? And uh, you, can, you can find us on Twitter and on social media generally just with, by typing in the word tax map. T-A-X-M-A-P. Okay. Thanks, Lucio. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of After Hour Projects. For show notes and more, visit www.afterhourprojects.com slash podcast. You can find all episodes there, as well as on Spotify, Apple Music, or your preferred podcast service. Make sure to give the podcast a like, subscribe, and I'll see you on the next episode.